Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Dana Toscano-Harder. Dana is the owner of In-Depth Chicago Consultant. In-Depth Chicago is a contractor's advocacy firm offering operational, strategic, and capacity building support services. The firm champions the cause of small and diverse businesses, government entities, and community partners, which we'll discuss in depth today. With a history of spanning over 20 years, Dana has worked with and for various size companies, vendors, subcontractors, and general contractors, contributing to numerous significant construction projects. Her unique professional journey leads her to a comprehensive understanding of building projects and fostering relationships, the perspective she brings to In-Depth Chicago. She has leveraged her experience and knowledge to create a platform that advocates for support contractors and an invaluable service to the construction industry. Her unwavering commitment to strengthening relationships and facilitating successful collaborations between diverse businesses, government entities, and community partners will be our focus today. And finally, one of the things I love about Dana is she's committed to her home city and true Chicagoan uh, through and through, uh, as we were just talking about. So, Dana, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I, I said lots of fun stuff about you, but you tell us the real story here. Give us your, your true origin story uh, and then tell us about in depth. It's interesting to hear somebody read, never hear somebody read some of their own words and the invaluable contribution that we have to the industry, which is pretty boastful. But I've heard the, the word used for the services that we offer. So origin story wise, I have worked for over 20 years in the civil construction industry. I've worked as, you know, in, in many different capacities, everything from an administrative assistant, was a secretary at a crane company. When I was 19, I've been a dispatcher, a project manager, a senior project manager, a diversity liaison, a professional services consultant, a construction manager. So I have worked in many different perspectives in different seats. I worked for large road building firms. I've worked for small, diverse professional services firms. So it, it really helped form the idea of how I could be effective in the industry as I've amassed all this, you know, these, these different perspectives and, you know, um, maybe just like deficits and inefficiency, inefficiencies and strengths. And I've always been a person who helps everybody come together and see each other's perspective in an effort to, you know, see a project through, make things come together or problem solve. So I thought, what if I could do that and you know, do what I do best, but 
help many different businesses be successful at that also. So in-depth was born three years ago. Our first day was the first day of the shutdown of the pandemic. So um, good time to start I, a business. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I really like to share that with people so that they know that I can help with strategic planning, which I say <laughs> in jest. However, it really turned into a really meaningful time and a really vulnerable time for people to connect with small and diverse businesses because we're in an unprecedented time. I was in an unprecedented time in my life starting a business. Like that wasn't a comfortable situation for me. You know, while my children were e-learning, one e-learning, the other one barely out of diapers. And, you know, there was a more personal connection with the people. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out who I am as a business owner, trying to navigate like maybe the fear and the uncertainty of the pandemic. But it, I think it was so relatable with other people. It was just like an, an even, you know, just like another way to be able to connect with people. And I think it really, it catapulted my business in a really meaningful way because, you know, and, and, you know, that was my origin story and that's how I started my business. But what do I do in my business? So we do work to help empower the small and diverse community to understand how to be more efficient at what they do. So how to work for an agency. Um, and, you know, maybe you're the third tier contractor or, you know, vendor or rental service on a contract. That doesn't mean that you can't know the cliff notes of how the contract works, how the money flows, you know, who's beholden to who and how that works and what, you know, what is your role in it. And we've been really successful helping people understand what they need to know so that they can advocate for themselves better. So we work with private clients, we work with contractors and professional services firms direct. Not only do we understand the needs and maybe some of the challenges that the small businesses have, we also understand that the governmental agencies that we work for, they have their own priorities and prerogatives. And, you know, even in, in some instances, you know, like it's, it's political, the way things need to happen and, you know, the, the way that their, their, their goals in ways to try to meaningfully impact the small and diverse community. So we speak agency, we speak contractor, and then we also, you know, sometimes we have an interim client who works as a prime directly with the agency. So we're constantly catering some, in some instances, to three different levels of priority and objective. And we really, um, we rise to the occasion. So it's really cool to be able to see all the pieces fit together where everybody's getting what they need out of the situation while also simultaneously helping a small and diverse partner, like I said, like advocate for themselves better or become more efficient at what they do. Okay. So that, that seems like a lot, like a lot of a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> When I, when I think of construction, AEC industry, uh, and we frequently hear this, we keep going back to people, right? So it's all mm -hmm. people, right? If there's an agency, there's a contract, there's a prime, there's all these different, but they're all people, right? Like this is mm -hmm. you know, the root of everything we do as humans is like, yeah, we're a social being, right? So we're, we're people driven. So let's start there. Where where have you seen changes that happen, right? So you've been you've been in the civil construction space for a good, good amount of time here and held different roles. 
And now you're off on your own talking to all these different ones. So where have you kind of seen that people place go or that culture place go um, across the board that, you know, when you started in comparison to now, what, what does that look like in differences? That's a tough question because in some instances, just like everything else, like it's changed significantly. And in other ways, it hasn't changed at all. And it, and, and it may not in the foreseeable future. You know, maybe a, a perfect example, too, is like there's, you know, the, it, it's the perception, too, right? Like how do large businesses perceive small businesses and how do small businesses perceive large businesses? And from a lot of small and diverse businesses, you'll hear that the primes beat them up. You know what I mean? Like that they're that they that they maybe that they, they they don't care or that they're not advocating for their money. And the primes are saying, like, we cannot find a competent pool of diverse contractors to be able to fulfill agency goals and, you know, have the, the project be successful. So that's the age old complaint. What do you do about it? Right? You know, because it's, it's, and, and maybe that will never change. But what I think people don't know is like, you know, there are capacity building programs out there, like the ones that I work in, that help like as a partner and a liaison to help those people, like not just change their efficiency and their capacity and, and grow their capacity, but also change their mindset. You can either complain about the large partner that doesn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, or you can empower yourself to be able to demand to be treated a certain way. So you don't, you don't need to sign whatever contract that they give you, you should negotiate it. And if they aren't terms that you're comfortable with, maybe that's not the best opportunity for you, which is really easy for me to say, right? I'm not turning down a $650,000 job or a million dollar job. But if you're not ready, you don't have the cash, you don't understand it, you you know, so learning all these things, but then the larger partners, they're more open to it than they, than they ever were, because now they see that they, you don't want, they, they don't want you to fail. <laughs> They don't, they don't want you to be complacent. So I've seen a lot of changes like that where the larger businesses are trying to become more attuned to the smaller and diverse businesses, but they're so different. You know, they're, they're structured so differently. Like how do, how you were, you know, how are you able to, to connect those dots? So I definitely see the larger partners be more willing to participate and helping to understand the needs of the smaller partners and the smaller partners getting better at articulating and communicating what those needs are. So it's like, how can we help you? And they're like, I don't know, how can you help me? So you have, thankfully you have people like us that kind of bridge the gap and, you know, have thoughtful suggestions, meaningful matchmaking with like mentor protege type relationships. And I think it's, you know, generationally and, and youth wise, I, I also see a lot of positive changes too in the, the confidence of people who are entering the workforce and even just maybe more, you know, there's so many jobs out there right now and people are demanding what they're worth and they're making room for better lifestyles for themselves, which is really kind of a foreign concept in the construction industry. And I think as those people show up in greater in like vast masses, the industry has to change if that makes sense. So those are two of like, maybe the most notable changes that I can think of. So you were talking about uh, capacity for a second there. And when we talked in the pre-interview, I think this is where we can kind of connect the dots. We were talking about some programs 
especially with agencies. Do you want to talk about like what it means to really expand capacity and sort of what's happening with, you know, for smaller contractors? Sure. And there's, you know, it's funny too. It's like, like what I was just referring to, like, how can you help us? Or we, we need help. And they're like, how can we help you? And they're like, I don't know. You know, (laughs) we just put capacity building in like this big, vague bucket when it they're really different things and different partners and different ways can you help like are you it can be operational support you know do you have the systems and the processes and procedures in place to be successful and manageable for the people that you have working for and with you operational support business development a lot of times in construction people are like well what does that mean like it's all low bid well not necessarily like it, it may be low bid, but people can learn more about your business with a website. You don't need to invest $20,000 on a website, like, but they're, you know, just, just little things like a capability statement, you know, a resume to represent your firm. And these are, these are things that a lot of small and diverse firms aren't familiar with. And some of the larger partners don't even know that that can help them best understand, like, how do they fulfill the goals. Well, well, here's all the pieces. Here's all the people. Here's what they have to offer. You make it fit in your contracts and connect and network with these people. We teach people about advanced networking. Don't call somebody who's, you know, trying to put together a $30 million job 48 hours before and to introduce yourself, your services, <laughs> your value, and your, you know, all the tools in your arsenal. Like that's not the best time to make those relationships. In the capacity programs, we offer services like like real-time services. Like I poured the wrong concrete. What do I do? And then we say, okay, this is what you do, but we're also going to help you to ensure that you don't pour the co- wrong concrete the next time. And how do you communicate and how do you understand? How do you put together a responsive bid package? Um, is it responsible for you to bid this job? You know, like all the things I just mentioned earlier, like, do you have the cash? Do you have the understanding of the agency, the prime contractor, the material relationships, you know, all these different things? Do you have the workforce? We help with supplementing and understanding the different workforce organizations and the ways that you can recruit labor, you know, all different ways, whether it be like disenfranchise or, you know, working with the unions or union adjacent in some instances. But there's so many different facets to that. So even just kind of like organizing which bucket and then how do we prioritize all that, right? I just offered you all. And and a lot of times when we offer people like all these different capacity building, um, all this access, they're like, well, how much is it going to cost? Well, the cool thing is that the agencies support these initiatives because they want to build a better pool of people that are participating on their jobs. Like they don't want it to be the same old everything. For, um, for, can I can I stop you there for a second? When you say sure. agencies, can you name a few? Like, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Sure. Um, like the Illinois Tollway has a technical assistance capacity building program where they subsidize the cost of the services for the qualifying clientele participants. And the same thing goes with, you know, there's federal programs like the SBTRC, there are PTAC programs, there's, there's a vast number of, um, and, and they all have different metrics and different qualifications too. Like, do you want to do, and that's not just construction too. It's do I, I, you know, I'm an IT contractor, I do federal, con- I do local contracting and private contracting, but I know there's all these federal opportunities. 
that's a re you know something like um like uh ptac and i can't um uh, it's not coming to me like that's an acronym <laughs> we'll put but in the show notes okay thank goodness so ptac's a great resource if you are like i said you're an I, any kind of contractor you're working in a private capacity or commercial capacity but there's a lot of federal opportunity out there for small and diverse businesses and it's a, a little bit less complicated than you may think to be able to navigate those plans and specifications and put together a responsive bid package and you could be built you know with so much virtual uh, capacity and capability right now you could be bidding be bidding contracts in other states uh you know where the market might not be as competitive but there's all of these resources available to companies that qualify and sometimes you know however many years you've been in business or if you have the ability or the need to bond or if you have x amount of annual revenue at any given year um you know the the qualifications are so stringent that you know you don't qualify for anything so we kind of act as a project manager to help people direct what might be the most appropriate track for them to be able to receive these types of services oh man uh sounds like I there's believe... a lot of help out there and just people aren't taking advantage I believe PTAC is Procurement Technical Assistance Centers. Is that right? I believe so. Okay. <laughs> no, Good. that's correct. Um, which can easily be solved, you know, with a with a, a quick Google. But you know, and then from there, with all the different agencies who offer these programs, you know, they have their own RFP and RFQ process. So it isn't just like the clientele and the small and diverse businesses who are benefiting from this. You also have consultants such as myself who are offering, you know, their, their, their time, their skill and their experience to help these businesses become successful. Again, like we have so many clients that are, you know, after we tell them everything that we can offer them, they're like, I can't pay you. <laughs> and we're like, right. But the agency that has referred you to us will subsidize, you know, and, and, and what do, what do they gain? You know, the agencies gain a diverse partner and, you know, they have to participate with like certain metrics, you know, to help us understand what is the true impact of the programming that all these agencies are offering. And we've seen we, we very, we've seen it very quickly make a, a really uh, significant difference in small business programs. You know, for instance, like a, an, an agency such as like IDOT or Tollway or the CCA, normally, whether it's like a $500,000 job or a $50 million job the requirements are often very similar. So you have this much scope, right? And maybe 15 days in the field, but you still have all this paperwork and all this responsiveness and all this, you know, all these different things, you know, that you have to consider workforce uh, participation requirements, DBE participation, meeting the goals that you set, you know, account, all these different things. And th that's sometimes where some of the smaller businesses aren't necessarily equipped because they don't have a staff of, you know, people who have been doing it for 20 years or eat. in some instances, they don't have a staff that exceeds, you know, one or two in the office. And they are the estimator, they are the project manager, they are the superintendent, and they're also the, you know, administrative support. So we help again, like, I'll, I'll always go back to like cliff notes, we help them get the cliff notes and like the bullet points to help them navigate that proactively instead of reactively when the job's over and they can't do anything about it anymore. So obviously a, a company has to have 
the ability to do the actual work, right? Like that that has to exist. You actually have that capacity to do that. But is the is the bigger problem that you see is like, no, it's really the paperwork aspect of this that becomes the the real hang up on these things. Like obviously don't shoot for a project that you just can't you just can't do because your all of your money is wrapped up into one project or you don't have the labor force for it or, or for those things. But like assuming that somebody's saying, hey, like I'm not going to do work that I can't do. But if I can do it, now I have this paperwork part that becomes just out of the realm of what I can do. Is that the is that the big hang up on this? It's one of them. You know, and this is all subjective just based off the experience that I've had and like the interface that I have with, you know, the, I don't know, 50 plus businesses that we probably work with right now. Um, very rarely do you see people not skillfully do the work in the field and get mm -hmm. things done in accordance with what, you know, the specified time frames are. But post pandemic, we have all these things like material unavailability and mm -hmm. material escalation, workforce shortages, you know, uh, getting insured adequately to meet the agency's mm -hmm. requirements, either as a prime contractor or a subcontractor is, you know, is often an issue. And, you know, by the time you do set foot on the job, there's so many things, there's just so many things at play about like, you know, like you're saying with, with the paperwork that I think sometimes people's resources get caught up in trying to comply with everything that they have to do. You lose sight of, backlog moving what's the project beyond that and you know i've seen a lot of people quite a few people get into that situation where they're so hung up on getting this project done they're not figuring out what's the plan for the field you know six weeks from now or when when we're done with this job especially because all their cash gets tied up because it's great to work for a governmental agency because you know that the funding is already there in most instances and always know what the structure of the contract is you know, when you're thinking about that, but what is the timeline? You know, I know every agency tries to pay as expeditiously as possible, but it definitely has to go through. Sometimes it has to go through like 10 different channels yeah. and then go to the comptroller and come back 10 more different channels. And if you're a second or third, even if you're a first tier subcontractor or the prime contractor, you have to be able to account for not having that money, you know, for 150, maybe 180 days. And what does that mean with your relationships with your material suppliers too? I see that as a, a, you know, a problem often. So, you know, like what's the solution to all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just be realistic, understand what you're up against and be realistic. Can you negotiate different terms with your material supplier? Can you request that the prime contractor give you some mobilization money so that you can, you know, give good faith money to your supplier? Like what are the different, ways that you can fix all this and you know so we've had some success helping people who are in those situations but yeah i think it's a whole multitude of hang-ups not necessarily just paperwork related okay oh people you know back to what you were saying yeah. too especially with the small businesses too i mean they're wearing so many different hats and they're trying to keep everything afloat they're also trying to keep their workforce safe happy you know continuing education make sure that they're trained and make sure that they're doing the job properly and sometimes when they're like i'm going to hire a project manager well then they go out into the field and they make sure that production's great and then they're putting a bid together 
they're not mentoring the person that they're hiring as a project manager. So there's a lot of turnaround because, you know, people want to be seen and they want to be a priority too, but they also really want direction. They want examples. They want processes. And some of the, you know, when it's the owner who's done everything for so long, it's all in their head. So they're just assuming everybody should know what they do, what they, what needs to be done. And because they don't have the time or the space or even that experience to be able to train somebody, prioritize somebody so that they can retain that person and help them become successful also. And I, at no fault of their own, I mean, that's almost an insurmountable task in some instances. So that's the other problem. So obviously labor shortage exists, like that's a, that's in existence. But if you get a person and a good person, an A player, you know, somebody that you really value, the training or mentoring is the other side of that coin. You've gotten, you, you've caught, you know, you've hooked the fish, right? Like you, you, you have it on the hook, but you're not keeping them, uh, you know, with you because you're not able to either not able, not, you don't have experience, whatever it is, it's not happening in a mentor place. So how, do, how does that get addressed? Like how, what do, what are your thoughts on addressing? How do we just get more training or mentoring in these small businesses? I feel like, a, well, a, you know, one of the simple fixes too, is like, if you hire somebody, a lot of times people will hire and they say, I'd like to hire an office manager, I'd like to hire an assistant project manager. And we always, you know, we, we often provide examples of here's a multitude of different positions. Here's what the, you know, maybe suggested qualifications are. Here's what, here's the structure of it. You'll be participating in, you know, business development, uh, bid responsiveness, estimating project management, but continue to dial down. What does all of that mean? Like make the expectations clear as day. And as you're doing this, like understand how would you leave an example or how would you show somebody how to do that? They're just, they're not, and, and are your, and it doesn't have to be complicated, right? It doesn't have to, you don't have to go invest in, you know, because a lot of people are like, well, I, I do everything off the top of my head or, you know, I have, I have spreadsheets on my computer, <laughs> you know, like, so that's not a situation where you can bring a person in for success. So, you know, we always, we, we try our best to help develop that job description and ensure like, are you meeting regularly this person? Let's, let's review these objectives. Like, do you feel comfortable that you can do this competently and can you do it independently? No. How can I help you? But then also too, like, are you designing it around what your company needs? Are you even considering the strengths and the aspirations of the person that you're bringing on? Because if you do, then they're going to perform in a whole different way. I, I, that's been my experience anyway. And that's, I mean, that's, that spans every, any industry. Yeah. There, I just had seen, and I don't remember the number of the stat, but it was like people that are, you know, a players are good people. Like they need feedback. Like it's, they, they need it. Otherwise they just don't feel fulfilled. Like there's just a, they don't feel like they're actually having enough impact on the business and then they leave because that's how they feel. Right. So this is to that point, you need to, you know, nurture your, your good people uh, in all different kinds of ways when it comes to mentoring, training, feedback, uh, open communication, you know, just, you know, basic caring for another human being is, is very impactful uh, in business. Well, that's, 
And that's a learned behavior for some people. You know, for instance, like when I started in the construction industry, um, my mentoring was more by observing action, mannerisms, the way the people whose contribution I valued, like how do I mirror my own behavior to understand what they did? And I found great satisfaction in being able to figure things out myself. And even even if I met with, you know, not all not all feedback has to be you're doing wonderful. Like it can be construction constructive and in a healthy way. And I responded really well to that, but that was a different time. That was also because of my own insecurities because I was never going to tell somebody I didn't understand what they were saying, or I was never going to, you know, I'll never forget. Like I was in a, I was in a meeting and because most of my peers were engineers and like, somebody asked me something about like deflection and I was like, Oh my God. Like I wrote, I remember I like wrote down deflection in my notebook and I put my hand over it, <laughs> you know, like I was we'll look this say, up later. <laughs> right. I was like in a book because the internet wasn't, I mean, that wasn't a, you know, I'm, I'm like blushing just thinking about it. Like that wasn't a thing when I first started out. Like, so, you know, I, I was reading load charts in a basement of a hair salon <laughs> like paper load charts and like routing cranes on a map that was like five years expired that I don't even think had all the parts of the tollway on it. Um, (laughs) You know, putting push pins places and like going into a Nextel. It was a whole different world. But in my, in in the civil industry, that has been the deal the whole time I've been around. So it has to be a learned behavior to try to seek out like the strengths and the gifts other people have because the people who mentored me are still around. They stick around for a really long time. And so it's really cool and interesting to see, you know, even some of my mentors are mentoring youth much differently because they have to, but they're also seeing the value of it and the creativity and the innovation because the youth, youth has something to say. Oh, that that is, to say the least, that is true. Puts a different meaning to old habits die hard. It it really does, but you're the if you can't change, like you're the one that's going to be irrelevant at some point, and I, that's what's happening now too. I mean, I I see it happening. So, hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. Speaking of change, uh, I think this is a good segue to you talk about this. A lot of people have asked questions about sort of business impact around DEI and social responsibility, right? And could you talk a little bit about what this looks like and maybe some examples, you know, in the industry? And just talk a little bit about it. You just had some really good things to say. So I'm hoping that that's enough for you to kind of start. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a tough thing, you know. Every, who doesn't want to incorporate 
diversity and inclusion in everything that they do. But then the fact of the matter is that everybody's operating, everybody could be operating, you know, economically and monetarily more efficient. So how do you, how do you make the investment in do, you know, doing business a whole different way than what you're accustomed to? So now like in contracting, for instance, so you have um, diverse business requirements uh, that you are, so you're, you're building a job, you're fulfilling the diverse business requirements you are fulfilling um, like the workforce participation requirements. Like there's all these different things that you're fulfilling and it's really challenging for people to think outside of what do I do beyond that? You know, like, and again, too, I'll, I'll keep using, you know, 25 years ago, recruiting, recruiting was the same as it always was, right? Like for civil engineering, you know, people who build, people who build roads and bridges, they're going to go to those engineering schools and, really in the student body 30 years ago of where we recruit there wasn't even the opportunity to recruit like diversity and inclusion right because it was mainly like caucasian personnel who are all available so it's connecting the dots and like how do we find how do we bring everything together how do we find the available work pool so that we can introduce more diversity and inclusion and creativity you know, into and and more, you know, meaningful change and social impact. And I've seen a lot of the large contractors think of ways to have alternate sources to find that because you can't just keep doing the same things that you were always doing. You can't just keep going to the same places or advertising in the same spots because also it's about the values of the company as a whole and, and does that work in a mutually beneficial way for both the person who, let's say, like the person who's applying to work there or the company that wants to work with you because, you know, that all needs to be considered as well. But I think finding more meaningful ways to connect, is it through a capacity building pro program? Is it through a workforce agency? You know, even right now, like there's a huge deficit in the market of available personnel to work on the construction management side to, you know, these are people who like, inspect drainage count rebar you know they're they're really like on the front lines of ensuring that the job's built in accordance with like the design intent and they're reporting to the people who are running the job managing the job and reporting to the owner so you know we've been working on a different initiative with different workforce partners you know personally for me my own personal journey was i was a female in a, in a male dominated industry i was in community college and if somebody came up to me and said hey can you go get this IDOT certification? And are you willing to work 10 hours a day and in the heat and at night? And, you know, you can have the opportunity to make anywhere from, you know, 80 to $130 annually, $130,000 annually. I would have, I would have been like, what do I do? Like, what do I, what do I give up? Like, how do, how do I do this? Like, are you talking to me? I know that there's people out there that, like systemically or generationally haven't had those types of opportunities that have the will and the drive, like to be able to do these positions. So do we relax or, and change some of the ways that we've looked at all of this? And, you know, like there, I hope this is making sense. There's just, it's gotta be a, a different way of how you are approaching things because the same, 
the, the same old ways aren't working anymore. And I think that's a really cool way to consider diversity, diversity and inclusion, like people of all different like backgrounds and skill sets. Like I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I don't, I've never uh, performed like exceedingly academically, but I can, I can help you solve a problem. Like most people, I don't, you know, most people can't. So that is a different skill set. So like, what if we're acknowledging people for different skills and tools that, and, and strengths that they can bring to the table? You know, how, how is that? I, I feel like I'm seeing that much more, but I, I feel like we can promote more awareness on how to do that to, you know, have a more outside of the box way to incorporate diversity and inclusion. How, how do we, how, how do we connect these out? So you have, you know, you know, the, the primes or, you know, the, 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 those that are hiring saying like, Hey, we want a diverse workforce or we want diverse partners but we can't find any. And then these partners are like, Hey, we're over here. Like find us. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we make a bridge? Aha, a bridge, civil engineering. How do we make I a bridge? What you did. I see what you did there. Yeah, thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> pun intended for sure. So if, if me, Dana Harder calls Wright Community College and says, Hey, I'm Dana from Indep. I want to put together like a workforce program. You know, I, I want to help give people who maybe don't have like and, and there's a, all, all different reasons why you have maybe like a less traditional academic path right maybe it's maybe it's money maybe it's preference maybe it's a you know health a familial circumstance whatever the case may be these are the people that aren't necessarily being seen for the jobs that i'm talking about but can very well be successful at performing these jobs if i call it's it's you know, they're like, oh, that's such a cute idea. You know, let's have you talk to so-and-so. If somebody from an agency calls, you know, partnered with, uh, you know, large companies and membership organizations, there's a lot of membership organizations in the construction uh, uh, industry who does you know this is their this is what they do like they help advocate for their members and ensure that they're you know they're networking and that they're they're getting opportunities and they feel like they have support and a partner you know when they when they encounter a challenge so it's like buy-in from all these different agencies to connect you know where where are the places where the people are at who you know could really do well in these opportunities construction physical like workforce too you know i think a I don't think everybody necessarily understands because maybe that's not how like careers were modeled. What is the advantage of being a laborer, right? You know, a lot of instances like in construction workforce, we've talked to candidates who were trying to place on, you know, with construction companies and they, you know, legitimately are like, hey, you want, you're talking about an opportunity for me to work three days. And I get that you're telling me I'm going to make, you know, $55 an hour and that's great. But I have a job down the street at the hardware store and I get 50, you know, I get 45 hours a week there and I can, I can count on that. So like, it's really difficult to explain, you know, like to somebody who that isn't their environment, that isn't what's been modeled for them. If you perform in these couple of days, this can lead to an opportunity for you to retire in 20 years and you are 19 years old. And it's, and it's hard, you know, and like, what are some of the other barriers to, well, I don't drive and 
I'm here and the job site's here. So again, this is larger partners. Can, can you make transportation available? Can you help remove some of these barriers because you have the resources and you need the personnel? Can you use your status, your ability to connect with these larger partners, to raise better awareness, to connect with the people who aren't at, you know, the MSOE or U of I job fair. So I think that's, I think, I don't know, that's just, that's my theory on how to connect in, you know, a less traditional way and incorporate better diversity and inclusion in, in your workforce too. No, that makes total sense to me. It does make me think, and like I have younger cousins that I'm immediately like 19. I'm like, oh, I have a cousin who's 19. And I'm like, I should totally tell him like, yo, you should like think about this concept and idea. It's not, you know, you don't have to go, uh, I don't know, be be an Amazon driver. I don't even know what kids are doing at this point in time. Like I, I whatever they're doing. <laughs> I'm, I mean, really though. And like, if I, I always had said, like, if I had to do it over again and I, I always talk about like bridge building and road building. I couldn't physically, I can't physically build like my five-year-old son is like, his ability is like far beyond mine when it comes to Lego building. It's it's just like embarrassing at this point <laughs> where he's like, that's not even the right piece, mom. I'm like, okay. But I could tell you, you know, if you, I could tell you what materials you're supposed to use and I can tell you what the sequence of operations is and I can tell you what the order of precedence is. And I, you know, I can tell you all these different different things so if i could have done it differently i would have probably joined the union you know at 18 or 19 and then use that retirement you know in 20 years as a way to put myself in a project management position like i'm building three different tiers of wealth ability independence retirement not to mention like I mean, everything I would have to bring to the table of being in the in the field for 20, you know, I mean, personally, I would have been unstoppable if I did that. If I knew how to physically build something in the field on top of all the other things that I have, like I would have had all the pieces and I would have had a retirement and I would have had more financial independence and maybe have found greater confidence sooner in my career. So those are all invaluable things that no one can take away from you. <laughs> You know, but I don't know if people are talking about that as much. And there are a lot of spots in the trades right now, too. They need they need people. So, yeah, I I, so I just bought a house and I'm not a handyman. Like, I, I know like there's things I can do, but I this is not, you know, I've, I've always sat behind a computer and have not like done things. I think I'm smart enough to figure things out, but it's just I don't have the tools or like have any knowledge that would actually get me to be able to do certain things. And I frequently in the past few weeks have been like, man, I wish I would have like took a woodshop class or man, I really wish I would have like learned any of these things that seem to be so useful that I just don't have the skill for. Well, you but can still that, learn. You can still I, learn. No, to, I'll, just, oh, I'm, building, I'm building stuff. Like that's going to happen now that I own a house. Like, <laughs> you might lose a couple fingers in the process, but you'll still learn. <laughs> yeah, you don't. I don't even need fingers for typing anymore. It's all just voice, um, so it's fine. Uh, but to that point, so there's tons of jobs. Uh, what does the the big infrastructure bill look like? What is what does that look like for 
uh, civil engineering uh, for the diverse groups and for young people that you know might want to think about getting a job in in the, in the trades. So again, I always like to preface everything with like this is subjective, right? This is my opinion. Oh no, this, this we take this is the god honest truth of everything. If you said it, well, then it's true. You know, then I have nothing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Here's the thing, like who wouldn't be excited about the infrastructure bill? And and honestly, as a, a person who chose, didn't really choose this career path, like got into this career path, I saw a significant amount of security in it because the infrastructure always needs to be maintained, rebuilt, extended, expanded, like that's a given, right? And the we got to build is, stuff on Mars soon. So like, you're just going to get a whole nother planet to add, right? So yeah, Right. Right. I put my application in for that last week. <laughs> but um, so already, you know, lawmakers, agencies, like lobbyists, like everyone's already advocating to use the pool of available financial resources we have right now to be thoughtful about how we are maintaining and expanding infrastructure. And the truth, in my opinion, is that there's still more than enough work to go around for everybody who is existing and people who are emerging, truly. Adding the other layer of like infrastructure on top of it, I'm telling you, I think it's a really good time to start a business. Not when the opportunities become available, but now and soon so that you can build that, the strategy, the cash, the experience, you know, even just like, Finding the right professional partners, you know, you can't just call like Bill from Countryside and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be doing curb and gutter on the tollway. Like, I want to add on to my auto policy. Like, that's not how it works. You know, it takes time <laughs> to like put all this together. So, and we're going to need firms of any type or kind. Because like right now we already have, you know, the things we just talked about, we have a workforce shortage. We have a deficit in the availability of small and diverse partners to fulfill the goals of the, the, the things that we have that are existing. We need more people. And just like I said earlier, like, don't call the person who's bidding the $30 million job 48 hours ahead of time to introduce yourself. Take the time to invest in yourself and the resources so that you have a confident offering, you know, when the time is right. So I personally don't think that we have enough capable and maybe like established like companies who maybe even have the liquidity to be able to like diversify and expand their services beyond, you know, what we're doing now. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting time, but that's my opinion only to be oh, clear. Wow. <laughs> I that have is... that on no greater authority whatsoever. So your authority is great enough. That's how we go with it here at Building Scale. I like how this is going. There we go. <laughs> so something was brought to our attention uh, when we talked previously. And I want to talk about this. So the industry is kind of behind when it comes to technology in a few different places. And so there's contractual requirements from agencies and the technology that's being used. Can you talk a little bit about like this horrendous process uh, in 
what happens. When I heard it, my jaw kind of dropped. That's uh, Will's opinion, by the that's way. That's my opinion, uh, yes. Wanna... But I, I come from a very technology-heavy world. And so when I heard this process, I was like, oh, my God, no wonder, you know, people just hate this like, or, or don't get this right. So can you talk a little bit about well, this? I think technology, the only word that comes up in my mind, because I have a 14-year-old, is like cringy to some people because they're like, oh, like new stuff and you know, we're going to have to learn something new. And I, I think it's because of what I shared with you. So even personally, so I'll take you through, um, I'm working for a local government agency and I'm working for a huge company. So the huge company has a software that they spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on. They implemented the software. We still don't know how to use it, even the most capable people, but we're like, we'll do the things, you know, we'll log all the stuff. The agency is requiring that we use the web-based project management system to submit everything formally, you know, if that's an RFI, a submittal, a schedule, how, you know, so that they can take it through their procedures and the different desks that it needs to go to. And that's great, right? Because then we have a, a means of retroactively like going and seeing what was the path, because we always need to establish a timeline, right? Especially if there's like a delay or a claim or a problem. So, Aside from that, a lot of agencies have like a construction manager, manager, like a construction representative. And so in advance of some of these things that are going in the web-based project management system, we're also discussing this preliminarily via email, via meetings, via phone calls, being, you know, preliminary review. So I'm, I'm Dana who works at a large company and I have a question in the field that comes in in the field and they're like get an rfi out and i'm like okay i you know i compose my rfi i research it i make sure that they're you know able they just didn't overlook it in the field and i'm looking through the plans and specifications i formally formulate my references and my question i log it into my system internally at my big company and then i shoot you know i i call the construction manager and i'm like hey just wanted to let you know this is coming like you know we need you to expedite this, whatever the case may be. Then I'm entering into the web-based project management system and submitting a process. And so sometimes that construction manager has to go to the agency, the designer of record. I mean, it has to go through like all these different cases, but then it comes back and sometimes it can't come back expeditiously, right? Because you have all these moving parts of people who don't interact with the job on a daily basis too. So this is like through nobody's fault, right? This is just like how it's set up. And so they're also not in the field either. So like, they're not even interfacing with the problem. And then we have this poor guy that even started this whole thing. That's like, oh God, like, I just wish I didn't even ask. Like, right? So then we're waiting for it to come back down the line in the web-based project management system. Maybe somebody emails you in advance. Maybe they email you an additional comment that came in after the web-based project management system, spit it out to document everything, because I have an internal control at my big company, I'm downloading all the PDFs with all the comments of the four people, because there's no other more efficient way to do it. I'm also uploading all this stuff, because my project management system doesn't allow me to include attachments in Dropbox, or whatever server I have with like the different files, you know, an organizational structure. So then I'm logging 
sometimes I'm manually typing or copying, pasting in the answer and I'm closing that out in my internal system. That's a thing in real life. Like, oh. and maybe I'm not even using, even though I'm really capable, I'm pretty smart. I might even be using my own system accurately because we got a two hour training like five months ago. And I don't even really know if I understood it to begin with. And most people don't because no one's mentoring me either. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it's just kind of crazy. So that think of all the work that that involves, not to mention if you are a subcontractor who has the question. Oh. So what are all the things that are happening here right now? And again, that's, so, so when you're talking about like technology, what's a more intuitive, what more efficient way? Be, and also too, as a person who, I mean, I'm relevant, I'm tech, as tech savvy enough as I need to be. I mean, I don't think I'm um, ill-equipped. A lot of these programs are not intuitive. <laughs> like it's not like my son on an iPad because for whatever reason, like he can, he can mm -hmm. navigate it, you know, because that's intuitive. These are not necessarily like always intuitive systems. Um, so, and, and you're also at the mercy of the functionality of their server and is the web-based project management system down. It's just, it's too many moving parts really uh, for no good reason. And what information gets lost in translation a lot. So this is the very definition of my favorite word, which is shit show. Uh, <laughs> Because I've never heard that term. <laughs> uh, what I heard is a lot of places that mistakes can happen and why one of the many, many reasons why litigation happens is the disaster of how many moving pieces there are. And you can make one mistake in just the document process, right? Submittal process uh, of just a change and it can all go sideways right just just from what you described on one piece um so and and this is just with large companies let's say with agencies and what about the small ones right that have to deal with the exact same systems right and what happens there is it any different for this i'm assuming it's not different or the small no, guys. and then the small companies sometimes they don't even have access to all the info. Sometimes they're because now you're dependent on the person to the person who's doing all the data entry and doing all the moving around to get it to all the people that need to get it. And maybe maybe the person who asked the question got it, you know. And maybe they're like, say, there's a revised drawing or something like that. Well, did you send it to the saw cutter, which is like incidental to that? piece of the work and do they know that the limits have changed because of the question that you asked that wasn't defined in the drawings or is somebody else in the field the construction manager who never got the attachment either is going to lay it out wrong and then the saw cutter is going to cut it wrong and then everyone's going to have to do a bunch of rework and you made such a good point when you were talking to as all this is going on maybe I'm the person and it's not my job to make sure that all the people involved have all their contracts executed which is the number one question when you are in litigation, because I've been deposed more times than I can remember. Why wasn't the contract executed? Because that's the governing document. Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's a lot that's that's t- i mean there's so there's so many layers there uh it change management being at the core of the technology as well i mean that's just getting people to actually understand technology again like it's already too complex because you're using multiple systems and back and forth and all this but like it would just help to know the one system pretty well like that that in itself would at least be a step in the right direction because you're not going to change necessarily how an agency decides to push things like you know like you're just working with different different organizations what so that's just getting work done like that's just the hey we just want to do some stuff like we want to build some things what about uh is are you seeing that there are more requirements um in these contracts from agencies for cybersecurity? like we've seen you know this become obviously huge uh sticking point for especially like bigger institutions but are you seeing agencies saying like yeah you you know prime or sub need to have x amount of requirement of cyber insurance or cybersecurity? Um, stack or anything like that? I've seen, not personally, I've seen more push from the the risk management, like in the insurance side. And a lot of, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes because again, now we're back to like, what will that cost? But people don't always understand what will that cost if you don't have those provisions in place, both technologically and from an insurance perspective, like what do you think is going to happen to you? That's like, um, uh, that reminds me of like the pandemic in, in a lot of people's like builders risk and general liability and excess liability. Um, catastrophic events were excluded or something to that effect. Like the pandemic was considered like a catastrophic event and a lot of people weren't able to find any way to get any type of like monetary like recourse for delays, material inability, like, because like the whole world stopped, but the insurance was like, oh, no, like this is, I think I might be, I don't even know if I'm remembering it correctly, but it was like something to that effect. Like, there was a word in the deep, deep, deep insurance policy that prohibited you from doing that. Well, that's, I I apply the same concept to like cyber, you know, cybersecurity, like, I mean, I know people can, people can access my data at any point. Like personally, I would be a hypocrite because you might be accessing my data right now. I don't know. That's, that's what this whole savvy. conversation was for. We were just hoping. I figured you wanted to get at my templates real bad. Like <laughs> people, yeah, my quality control plans and my dust control plans. They're, they're, they're a hot ticket right now. I mean, this is but, this is like safety, right? Like why why even invest in safety? It's it's an issue that isn't there isn't a responsibility just by one person. It's a shared responsibility by the entire organization, right? So all we're really talking about is the digital version of that. Well, it's back to that learned behavior too, right? Mm-hmm. Like cybersecurity is a new and foreign, not in real life, like in on other industries and in tech, it's not. It's not confusing. It's not a foreign topic. But like I said, in our industry, there's there's a lot of people who've been around 30 or 40 years that are like gotten by this long without it. But they may not be as familiar with all the technological like nuances or the exposure, but they're going to have to get familiar as I'm not seeing it as much on the local level, you know, the local governmental agency level. But I am reading a lot of it in uh, federal procurements 
that right. they have to have, you know, and, and think about that too, like as the infrastructure bill comes in, if you're, if things are going to become um, less readily public available, like what we're building and how we're building what, inevitably you're going to have to have those protocols in place, right? You know, that's like what I always tell somebody, like people always go like, shop bonding when they see a contract advertised like I want to bid this job in a month and I only need like five million dollars in bonding and I'm like even if you could get someone to bond that like the the rates that you're going to pay like would you even know if it's competitive or you 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 if you want that job you basically just have to go with like whoever will take you to the dance (laughs) like like I don't even care like I don't know how much this is going to cost and I also don't know that if I add $2 million in change orders that have to pay the bonding on that too. But I just really want this job. You know, it's like if you're getting cybersecurity when someone's already hacked all your shit, like you're going to pay whoever, whatever to help you figure out how to get out of that situation. Like what's the point? And that's when it's most expensive. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. In, in um, addition to if, you know, you're just, you know, you're just screwed. Like if that's the case, like, yo, you're just, they have your data. They lock down your systems. You're totally screwed. It definitely becomes the question of like, yeah, I mean, you're just going to pay them. Like, yeah, you can fill out a form and ask the FBI to help you. But like, if it's not a big enough amount, like for a small business, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, $13 million because that could be, you know, you know, triple the business or something like that, where it's like, yeah, right. you just, you know, they're asking for an amount of money that effectively closes your doors and there's not a whole bunch else you can do. Um, that's it's just super scary. Um, but that's why, again, it's trickling down from the top, as you said, from federal. Um, so might, you know, our belief certainly is, oh, this is, you're going to start seeing this more in local places because we're even seeing private sector, like bigger organizations saying, yeah, you need to have X amount of insurance because it's just too much risk. It's just like everything else. And it's also to the catastrophic event thing. Somebody sat around, some insurance person that makes these contracts sat around and said, you know what? In like 1912, there was like this giant flu that happened. What if that happened again? Like, let's make sure that we put that in the contract. Like that to me is just crazy. Like these aren't things I think about, but I guess that's not my job. So, But um, in the deep cut, like the deep, deep cut that you would never, like we always, I had a mentor who always used to joke like, you know, we'd have 18 different kinds of like special policies for each of like, you know, whatever the respective agencies needed, because it's not negotiable. Like, you get it, you can ask to omit it. And sometimes they grant that and always do that too. Because the worst thing they can say is no, but do that before Mm -hmm. the job bids. That's like the greatest piece of advice I can give anybody ever. If you can't do something, ask if you cannot do it. And the worst thing they can say is no, before the job bids. But anyway, I digress, but like he said, he sat in, in, at a table in so many instances where he had a claim and they're like, yeah, we know we insured you with like builder's risk to build that wetland stabilization on a floodplain. And then you had like a water event and you had to spend, you know, $800,000 to watering. That's just not covered. <laughs> Meanwhile, we just spent 90K in premium. Like, oh, yeah. What what would be covered then? Maybe we should do that. Like, do we approach it? What are you talking about? Like, you're the one. They're like, well, you're the one that wanted to work on the floodplain. And we're like, you're the one that insured us to do it so we could go do the stuff. Like, 
well, obviously it was going to flood at some point. It was like, that's what the job is. (laughs) They're like, we knew the end result here. It's not my fault that we hedged our bets. (laughs) Everybody did. That's why they're doing like a stream bank stabilization. So the shit stops flooding. Like what? I mean, and he's right. Like it, I mean, that's happened multiple times. I mean, in my tenure in the industry, like, yikes, you're not covered for that. Oh, well, we just spent 350k last year. We only do like four million dollars in business, like on insurance premiums. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Up front, before we even set foot on the job. uh, A quick tidbit about uh, what you're what you're what you're seeing at the federal level for anyone that wants to know. That's CMMC, uh, Cybersecurity uh, Maturity Model Certification. That's essentially the big certification that's going to be at the federal level if you're working with DOD, but they're trying, they're the eventual sort of thesis is that um, that's going to be the one certification uh, across the entire federal industry, uh, or excuse me, across the federal level that if you want to work with them, you need to, you need to have some level of compliance on the small level. Like if you're working with airports, TSA uh, is, you know, uh, is essentially mandating certain levels of uh, compliance on the cybersecurity side, even, I mean, from pretty much anyone. So, and this is already happening, like the, this is in the process of. So uh, as anything to do with American infrastructure kind of gets locked down more, right? Because they're using sort of the contractors and they're using less secure companies that these, let's say airports or these facilities are working with, they're using those as sort of the backdoor entry to get into those facilities. So in order to sort of stop that chain from happening, they have to make sure that the entire chain, uh, supply chain of contractors, vendors, et cetera, are all equally as uh, secure as they themselves are. So this is why this is coming. Uh, or this is why this is happening in 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 instances, and I would not be surprised if this happens even on a local level, at least at least on a state, at least on a state level. And it's so logical too; it makes sense, but it's just not it's just not a common practice in people's minds. And I think the person that can make that the the persons who can make that un, like easy for people to disseminate and understand and access like that would be you know what i mean because it's like even as a business owner myself like I'm getting sweaty like listening to what you're saying and i'm like that's a problem like but how do i solve it like what do i do we might know a company <laughs> but uh but who, who would who would that be <laughs> oh i love the layup the spot migration but of course right no um, really so- though well, we'll have to certainly have to take that conversation offline. But uh, we we always like to end our uh, our podcast episodes with the last question. Will let's hear it. All right, my one of my favorite questions. If you could go back in time twenty years, that is two thousand and three. What would you tell yourself? Well, I was ten. No, I'm just kidding. Yay! Um, You've been. <laughs> I was not, I was, yeah. So uh, 20 years ago, I would tell myself, stop being so hard on yourself. (laughs) 
stop worrying so much and just trust that things are going to work out because those were inconceivable concepts to me, even at, even in, in, in 2018, <laughs> let alone five years ago. Wow. You know, so um, if I'd have tried to practice those concepts sooner, I would have been, at a, I could have saved myself a lot of energy that I could use in my forties running a business and raising two children. Those are wise words. All right. Well, Justin, I think that's the pod. Yeah, that's it. We will drop in your uh, social media and all that stuff in the show notes. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can go to our website at www.indepchai.com and there's the um, functionality to be able to schedule a virtual consultation um, and or email me at Dana at indepchai.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we sign off? No, this was, this was a really great time. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for listening. Awesome. Until awesome. next time. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep, keep building, building scale. scale.